For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Warsham, joined by one of the other two hosts of No Nonsense. Will Lomas is here with me. Matthias Wadner, it is actually his birthday today, and he is uh, away from his home, uh, enjoying some time off. So it's just going to be Will and me today. But it's still going to be a great show, and we've still got a lot to talk about. To give you a preview, we're actually going to have a conversation that that we weren't able to have last week just because we ran out of time, uh, and that's about Corey Davis's future with the Tennessee Titans. This has been a, a, a hot-button issue between Will and uh, me for some time, uh, and, and so we're going to have another discussion about that. But, but instead of you know sitting here discussing, is he good?, we're going to talk about the prospects for his future with the Titans as it relates to uh, contractual situations. We're going to get to that. We're going to talk about uh, some of the problems that the Titans have with their pass rush. Uh, but, Will, as we start and we look back to the Titans' big 31-10 to win over the Jaguars, uh, impressive, yes, but that's what you're supposed to do to, uh, to, to one and now one in 11 teams when you play them is you abuse them. And for, I think far too often, us as people that watch the Titans have been lulled into thinking that when you play teams like that, you can expect a slugfest in a close game. This is really the first time in a while that we've seen the Titans go against a far inferior team and from start to finish, take care of business. I mean, this was a rout. Yeah, I mean, just go back to Cincinnati when the Titans should have bounced back from the Steelers game, and I believe it was – did they have one win at the time or did they have a tie? I can't remember, but either way, there was no reason the Titans ever should have lost that game, and yet not only did they lose, they got absolutely smashed. So, yeah, I guess uh, I, I, for one, am, am just – always afraid of the next trap game because I've seen the Titans play so many games where they should win. This team is four and two or they're five and three and it's the best season we've seen in forever only to see them lose three in a row in November and then be irrelevant by the time the end of the year comes around. So it, it was nice to see them beat up on an inferior team, especially because you look around the league and so many times if you have a division game like this, it's, super easy i don't want to say to overlook mm-hmm. but to to just for fans 
is to say they're 11 or they're 1 in 10, like we should beat them, and not understand what it means to have a common opponent and a team that's seen you, I mean, twice a year forever. Like, it, we didn't do anything special that they hadn't seen. It It's not like we ran, although we did run a few trick plays for whatever reason, but it's not like we came out in a different defense and we went, or a different offense and we went four wide and they weren't expecting it. Yeah. I mean, they, they knew exactly what to game plan for. They knew exactly where we were going to attack and the Titans just did what they wanted to do, which is always fun to see. I mean, offensively, like you said, it was the same as always. It's run the ball with Derrick Henry, play action with Tannehill, take shots down the field. That's what this offense has been since Arthur Smith took over as the coordinator, and you can't get away from your bread and butter. And it's encouraging, too, this notion of them taking care of business against a cupcake team because over the next few weeks, they're going to have two more chances to do that. First this week against Detroit, and then in the season finale in Week 17 against the Houston Texans, both teams that have already fired their head coaches and are on interim coaches, teams that have absolutely nothing to play for. You could argue they've given up in a lot of ways. And teams that just aren't good. I mean, they both have good quarterbacks, I guess. I mean, you certainly could do a lot worse than Watson and Stafford. But, you know, th- those are two games that the Titans are going to need to win because with the way that the Colts are playing right now, uh, and we'll get more into the playoff picture in a little bit, but but just for now, it's looking like the Titans might need 11 wins potentially to win the division. Yeah, and, you know, it, well, we can talk more about playoffs in the second, like we said, but yeah, it, it doesn't look like this is going to be those divisions where it's wrapped up by now. Like, I mean, there's some teams that have already clinched, and, yeah. you know, with no, with no undefeated teams in the league anymore, like it just kind of shows you which divisions were close all year and which ones weren't. I, I mean, the Titans are in a tough division. They have always been in a tough division and a division that doesn't get enough respect because the bottom is usually so low. You know, right now the bottom is the Jaguars, which sure they suck, but the Texans are a team with plenty of you know plenty of offense. They have a good quarterback. They put up points you know, when their whole team isn't suspended or hurt or whatever. And they've got J.J. Watt, who's, you know, still pretty good. He's not great anymore, but he's still pretty good. So, you know, that our third best team is probably better than six of the other division's third best team. So, I don't know. Like, it, you hate to have to play these backloaded schedules where you have to play teams like the Jaguars, the Texans, and the Colts in the back half of your season. Everybody's got to do it, but like I said, some of these teams have hung it up. And they're worried about draft position more than the players on the field, so it, it's it's going to be difficult, so you don't want to say like, well, it's it's going to be easy to get to 11 because we've got these two pushover teams like we were just talking about. Like, I, I know that's not what you said, but we talked about you know they can be beaten even though they have good quarterbacks, but I guess what my big point is, I wish the Colts would not put up such a big fight because there's no reason it should be this close. And the best team in the division is the Titans. It's just they've had a bad draw and the way their schedule fell was unfortunate. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about the, the biggest problem that the Titans have right now, which I don't think you can debate it's the pass rush and and will you're going to be able to give us some numbers that sort of accent how bad it's been but to my point that i don't think you can debate it 
I mean, it is it is paralyzing this defense. And the defense certainly played well on uh, on Sunday, holding the Jaguars' offense to ten uh, points. But the problem with that sentence is that it included the phrase Jaguars offense, which began with Mike Glennon, who was dreadful, and then went to Garner Minshew, who did lead them down the field for a touchdown. But, uh, you know, certainly, like I said, give them credit. It was a good performance, but it, it wasn't exactly you know a, a, a litmus test of any kind for them. And, and so moving forward, is there hope for this team? And we, we talked a little bit about this last week when we had Joe Rexroad on the show, this idea of – and what I believe is is I'm struggling to see a path to the Super Bowl for the Titans. I think, I mean, it would be a catastrophe at this point if they didn't at least make the playoffs. The division is certainly up for grabs, but I think, I mean, it, it would take a lot of losing from them and a lot of winning from other teams to, to, make, to, to kick them out of the playoffs. Um, but, you know, last year they came up a game short of the Super Bowl, and, and obviously the goal for them this year is, is to make up that gap and actually get to the Super Bowl and, and potentially win it. But as we were talking about before the show, Will, the, perhaps the biggest reason that the Titans weren't able to get the job done against the Chiefs in the AFC Championship was they couldn't get near Patrick Mahomes. And I made the comment to you, I don't know that it would have been any different had it been like you know Ben Roethlisberger or or, or you know a, a stand in in you know stand in the pocket kind of quarterback because they just could not do anything. And so Patrick Mahomes, being the athletic quarterback he is, was just running around everywhere. They had no shot. Uh, now, they did beat Patrick Mahomes earlier in the year, which is important to note. However, it's going to be really tough for this team not to beat the uh, the Lions and the Texans. I think they can do that pretty easily still. But when you get into the playoffs and you're playing some of these tough teams, I mean, forget the juggernaut like, you know, a Kansas City. I mean, even when you're talking about like a team like the Baltimore Ravens, who, again, the Titans did beat earlier this year. When you get late in the year like that, it's really tough to beat those tough teams without being able to get near the quarterback. Yeah. Uh, well, let's start off with the numbers. So this okay. year they have 14 sacks, which if you've seen my Twitter account, uh, it's the worst in the NFL right now. And they're on pace for 17 sacks, would be, which would be the second time in uh, a decade that a team has had fewer than 18 sacks in a season. So – I mean, basically, this is a historically bad pass rush, and this is maybe the most important takeaway I want everybody to get from this. The Titans still have Malcolm Butler. They still have Kenny Vaccaro. They still have Kevin Byard. They still have, for, for most of the season, they've had Jayon Brown. They have Rashawn Evans. They have Jeffrey Simmons, they have Harold Landry, and they have Daquan Jones. So the majority of their starters are back. Then you swap out whoever they were playing on edge opposite Harold Landry, which is, whether it's Kamale Correa or Derek Roberson last year, and you switch them out with whoever they're playing now, which is Jack Crawford, even though it's not really his fault because he's playing out of position or it's Roberson or whatever, and you get King and Logan Ryan swapped. Basically, the majority of this defense is the same from a personnel standpoint. However... At the end of last season, the Titans had 43 sacks. So basically three times as many sacks. So you did and, confirm that it was 43 and not and not 34 like we were thinking earlier. Yeah, because it sure didn't seem like that. But uh, no, because they had – Casey had two sacks – had five sacks, which, you know, credit to Casey, I guess. Some of them were unblocked, whatever. Like 
I think I've talked about Casey in the past on here before where it's not that I don't like him. It's just I think he, he was less than his stat line indicated. But, I mean, now I'd kill to have somebody with five sacks on the team. Nobody yeah. has them. But, you know, five sacks, Logan Ryan had four and a half. Uh, Wake had two and a half. Roberson had three. Somebody else had five, and I can't remember who. Oh, it was uh, Correa. Uh, and then Harold Landry had nine and a half. So, you know, you had a bunch of sacks sprinkled around the field, but at the end of the day, it accumulated to 43 sacks, even though you didn't have a quote unquote, like bona fide pass rusher. And like I said, now you have 14, like the yeah. drop off from that is astounding. There's teams that lose eight starters who don't have that much of a drop off. I mean, it, it's I, I don't I don't know this off the top of my head. I probably should have tried to look it up in the past, but I cannot imagine a worse drop off. And like I said, really the only change is Mike Vrabel calling the plays. So just if we're talking about the pass rush, don't blame the players. I, I'm I, I'm a Harold Landry apologist. I think we all know that at this point. So, you know, understand that that's where I'm coming from, but also understand that when you look at what this defense did with a different coach last year, it sure points or it sure paints a picture that it's not the player's fault that they're not getting home. It's something strategically on the back end. And, you know, maybe a Dory makes some difference. Maybe Cameron Wake makes some difference or Correa just got hot, whatever. They don't make a 30 sack difference. Well, and, and, you know, that's what kind of what we've been talking about related anyway for several weeks we it started with a third down defense which has gotten a little better over the last few weeks is you know the titans offense is so good we're not sitting here saying you gotta have you know khalil mack and von miller both out there and and you gotta get you know 40 sacks in a season because i think that's a pretty good number uh and, and i think it speaks to what uh the defense was able to accomplish last year before we start to st- before we started to see the decline of players like Logan Ryan and Jarrell Casey. Um, but you also can't be dead last and just painfully bad. Yeah, and and just, again, I, I want to make sure everybody understands, just so I'm painting the right picture. Uh, it's a 29-sack difference from this year to last year. So that means you could have Aaron Donald and TJ Watt on the team and they still wouldn't get as many sacks as they got last year. Like that's how wide of a margin it is. You can have the two best pass rushers in the league and this team still would not be at that same clip. So, you know, all that to say that some of this is a coverage issue and uh, some of it's like a play calling issue, chemistry, whatever you want to call it. Like, but the fact that, the tight the Titans corners play so far off the ball and there's th- so many third down conversions like you were talking about like sure it's gotten a little better but it's still that whole bend but please drop defense that we talked about since week two like yeah. it's still give people as much off coverage as you can give them hope that they make the mistakes and that you look smarter for it at the end of the game but I mean this is still a team that has to get the ball first they have to be the first team to score and they have to put pressure on people like that because whenever they have to come from behind, other teams feel confident on both sides of the ball and it just spirals out of control. You know what's interesting is we, we first started to have conversations with this defense. I would say 
five or six weeks into the season because that was the point where we had a big enough sample size to start to say, all right, there are some real problems here. And, you know, one of the things we talked about was, well, are they playing this sort of soft, cushioned coverage because of a lack of talent? I mean, that was when they had Jonathan Joseph running around out there and and Chris Jackson running around out there. Uh, Well, now that it's Butler and Desmond King and, um, you know, Ty Smith, who granted is not very good, but eventually it's going to be Fulton. And I feel like we're still going to see a lot of that off coverage, which is puzzling. Uh, so, th- so that's one thing is that I don't think it, it it's becoming less of a talent problem and more of a scheme problem, I think. But then the second thing that I think is very much the player's fault is, you know, when we first started five, six weeks into the season as reporters, asking Mike Vrabel and Shane Bowen and the players, you know, what's going on? Why isn't this working? Pretty much the answer given across the board was it's a communication problem. Shane's a new defensive coordinator. It's going to take some time for everything to settle in. And that's when we kind of started to think, well, maybe this will be like the 2019 Titans offense where it starts out really, really bad, but then they hit a point in the middle of the season and they start having success and it snowballs. And by the end of the year, they're one of the best. Well, that has just not happened. It has not gotten very much better, though, again, give them credit for a good performance against a, a bad team in Jacksonville. And and so I think it is alarming that still, as recently as that Browns disaster two weeks ago, we're still hearing about communication problems. And, Will, I know you have your bones to pick with Bowen and Vrabel, and I certainly do too. But at a certain point, this is a player problem. And at a certain point, you know, you just got to execute. Whether it's a good call or not, and there's certainly plenty of criticism to offer on the calls, excuse me, the players just got to do their job. They got to make a play. And we're not seeing that happen. Yeah. the I guess the the weird thing to me is, I, and you tell me if I'm wrong, I – I'm remembering this a certain way, and maybe maybe I'm completely fabricating this, but in my head, last week somebody asked Vrabel about play about the communication, and he said the communication's been fine. I mean, now I also know that that's part of the default package of package of words that people say, where they say we got to get our communication right, we got to get our timing right, we got to make sure we're in the right place doing the right things. Because if you say those things fast enough, people don't seem to pick up on them and break them down one by one. There were people in that locker room who I know are not coach-speak people who were saying that. Mm -hmm. Rashawn Evans, foremost among them. Rashawn Evans, who was kind enough to record the intro to this podcast, never gives you coach-speak. He always gives honest answers. And he, too, was sitting there saying, we're just not communicating. We're not on the same page. So they they might be right that – you know, there is a communication problem, but there's so many things that aren't a communication issue that are evident when, when you watch them, like Kevin Byard getting posted up by tight ends or missing running backs in space or David Long getting sucked into play action plays and then the Browns rolling out and throwing it right over his head or where he was supposed to be or Breon Borders biting on double moves or anything Matt Dickerson does. Like, that this... There are communication issues. I, I, I 
understand that when you see them like kind of yelling at each other, the defensive backs like they always do, trying to get fix the mistake on the field. But I, I don't know. Like at a certain point, the guys who are supposed to make plays need to start making plays, and if that's not going to happen, then I, I guess this is where my big problem is. It's the coach's job to put them in a position where they feel most comfortable and where they, they can make plays the easiest. Like, they should have figured out a way to use Kevin Byard at this point because whatever they're doing is not working. The drop-off in his play is substantial. And so maybe they're trying and they just can't figure it out. I, I don't know. But so far, the guys like Rashawn Evans, uh, Jalen Brown, he was healthy, Kevin Byard, like Kenny Vaccaro, like the guys that we expected to be the backbone of this defense are running the wrong way, or they look like they're the ones that are ma- making big mistakes on the play. So I-, I don't know who's wrong, but I know that there are certain things I can see that are clearly a problem with the coaches. And it's hard for me to tell how much effort somebody's putting into a play or whether somebody's got a shoulder injury that they're nursing or whatever. Like I can't, I can't see all that, you know, like how Corey Davis had turf toe, not in 2019 all season. It's like, maybe it comes out that Kevin Byard had turf toe and that was the problem. But right now, based off what we're seeing, they're not being helped any by the scheme. And at the end of the day, your job as a coach is to find ways to make those guys and either turn them into playmakers or keep them playmakers. And when everybody gets worse on your watch, it's hard for me not to point to the defensive coaches, even if the players could be doing more. A player who probably couldn't be doing much more than they are right now is uh, A.J. Brown, who is playing very well for the Titans. He is uh, avoiding the sophomore slump. If he hadn't missed several games at the beginning of the year with an ankle problem, I think he probably would already be at 1,000 yards. Looks like he's going to end up there anyway. Uh, he had the great play uh, early in the game, the one-handed catch. Uh, he, he continues to be a guy picking up steam around the national media. I will very frequently be scrolling through Twitter and seeing national guys talking about A.J. Brown, referring to him as you know an elite receiver, one of the best up-and-coming receivers in the league. But, but what I want to talk about real quick about A.J. Brown is a tweet of his from the other day. So, man, Rex Chapman, who I think is one of the worst uh, Twitter accounts on Twitter, uh, got dunked on by Ben Shapiro yesterday. So that was great. But in addition to that, our good friends at Pro Football Focus, and I say that very uh, uh, sarcastically, got dunked on by A.J. Brown because they tweeted out uh, A.J. Brown is – Terrell Owens with some sort of graph or chart. Or no, no, actually, it wasn't a graph or chart. It was a quote from one of their people saying that they thought A.J. Brown (laughs) was like Terrell Owens. To which A.J. Brown quote tweeted that and said, A.J. Brown is A.J. Brown. Oh my gosh, that was so funny. And T.O. even uh, responded to A.J.'s tweet and was like something to the equivalent of, of you know, you're 100% right, you keep doing you. Uh, I love that. I, you know, and, and it's an interesting point about like 
the notion of player comparisons. I think they're helpful for the draft. You know, well, this player reminds me of this guy. But I think when we start making these, like, hyperbolic comparisons, like, like people wanted to say Corey Davis was, was T.O. when he was coming out in the draft. Do you remember that? And, and like, or, you know. Well, he got a lot of, he got a lot of Dez. Uh, that was mine, was Dez. Uh, oh, yeah, that's exactly. Like, I, I know, I know that. I think we talked about that a lot, even though he was taller than Dez. But, like, you're right. Like, stylistically, like, that's the only time you should use those because when, once they're in the league, they're not like anybody. They are them. Yeah. Like, you don't, you don't say like, – and you can say J.J. Watt is like Reggie White in that they both have big frames, they're athletic and all those other things. But you wouldn't say J.J. Watt is Reggie White. It's like, well – no, actually, because of this, like, we can see that he's not, like, yeah. A.J. Brown is right. Like, A.J. Brown is A.J. Brown. And even in draft season, though, when you're making comparisons, because this is something I like to do, it, it helps me to understand players better. I try my best, and really successfully, it's not that hard, to avoid, like I said, hyperbolic comparisons. Like, you know, it's one thing to say... You know, uh, I'm trying to think of an example. Like, uh, give me a player over the last, like a popular player. Uh, Chase Young. Yeah, it's one thing to say, you know, man, Chase Young is so explosive and he's got such a big frame. You know, I I think that, you know, at worst you're going to get someone like Justin Houston from him. But, you know, potentially you're going to get, you know, Vaughn Miller type of production versus being like Bruce Smith. You know, like, why are we comparing these people to like all time greats that odds are neither this person nor no one ever will live up to? Or, or like it, it'd be the equivalent of like taking a quarterback that's like a pocket passer and being like, he reminds me of Tom Brady. He reminds me of Tom Brady, guys. Or or uh, a, a running back that's like really uh, really big but also explosive and being like Adrian Peterson that's who he is. It's like stop making these hyperbolic comparisons to once in a lifetime people. Yeah, this is like a little mini stop the nonsense, but uh, yeah, it's it is very upsetting. Like I have I actually have one of these later for stop the nonsense, but. Uh, yeah, it, it's I don't know. I guess it's just not that hard to not compare people. But, you know, I think you and I were talking about it before we started the podcast. But I kind of understand why they did it, because people don't watch the Titans. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> we, we talk about it all the time and people just don't watch the Titans. You know, they have. And this is this was my pitch to you is. Do you want a quarterback who's incredibly efficient and lethal and really good in the red zone? We've got that. Do you want a 2,000-yard rusher? We might have that. Do you want two separate 1,000-yard receivers? We yeah. might have that. Like, you know, it, it's like, I don't do wanna, know. Do you want a pass rush? Had, <laughs> you might want to look somewhere Yeah, else. it's like, it's like well, you should have watched us in 2018. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. it's, you know, it's one of those things where, like, we've tried defense before and everybody said, Oh no, people will watch you when you have a good offense. And now it's like, we have really good offense. And they're like, well, you're only the third highest scoring offense in the league. Are we supposed to watch that? And it's like, yeah, the other guys get all the primetime games. So you might as well watch us, but you know, whatever. Yeah. But 
I, I guess if you're trying to say like, hey, for the 28 franchises who haven't seen A.J. Brown this year for some reason or who only remember him vaguely from when he spanked your team, he's actually a lot like this guy that we all know. And I, that ahead. has its ups and downs. But I, I don't know. Like, I, I get why they did that, but it does make it very aggravating for the people, I guess, who watch it. And it's like, well, like, also there's all these different nuances between them. But, yeah, like, I definitely get your point. I will say this before we go into a break on the idea of national media attention and, and are the Titans entertaining. I do think that uh, when wildcard weekend rolls around uh, and the Titans are playing, I think they will be a team that networks will want because, I mean, primarily of number 22. But like you said, Will, this is not the Mike Malarkey three yards in a cloud of dust you know, run the ball and run the clock out. I mean, this is an explosive offense that's exciting to watch with an up-and-coming playmaker in A.J. Brown, an elite quarterback in Ryan Tannehill, and probably, I mean, yeah, he is the best running back in the NFL, Derrick Henry, uh, who's not just, who's becoming a brand. I mean, I talk all the time to people about, you know, in sports there are, popular players within the context of their sport and then there are people whose brands uh, go beyond their sport LeBron James Tom Brady uh, I always say that I thought Odell Beckham was nearing that territory when he was with the Giants uh, and I think that Derrick Henry is certainly uh, Bryce Harper for baseball but I certainly think that Derrick Henry is heading in that direction so I think they will be a team that uh, that networks will want in January well, networks may want them, but we all know where they're going to go for the first week of the playoffs, right? Where? That that would be Nickelodeon. <laughs> well, so yeah. I think the Nickelodeon's a simulcast. I don't. I don't think. I, I hope I'm oh, not having. Oh, a... is it just also one? Like yes. I read it as Nickelodeon gets exclusive rights no. to the <laughs> AFC wildcard game played on the. No, 10th. no, no, no. So, <laughs> okay, so well, that, if you that if you don't know what we're ta- if you don't know what we're talking about. Uh, Nickelodeon has has earned or has purchased the rights to simulcast. Yes, it says simulcast a a broadcast of uh, the AFC wildcard game on January the tenth. I don't know if that's a Saturday or Sunday game. Um, that they're gonna like turn into like cartoony stuff, and there's gonna be like slime in the end zones, and there's gonna be a pregame show hosted by SpongeBob SquarePants, which I think is pretty cool. Like anything we can do to get. You know the next generation interested, involved in in sports, and interested in something other than like you know TikTok and Snapchat. I think is is a great thing. Uh, but no, uh, if if you just want to watch the normal broadcast without the cartoons, you you will still have that option. Okay, that's that is great news because I was like, okay, like I'm gonna have to watch because somebody said that they're gonna have Patrick Star like do some kind of noise after every <laughs> touchdown, and I'm like. <laughs> I'm like, I'm okay with that if the Titans are scoring. But if we're playing the Browns and they're scoring touchdowns and I have to hear Patrick scream in my face, I will be furious. But uh, Oh, yeah, I can like, only imagine. That, that would be it, hilarious. It, <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm glad that you helped illuminate that for me. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick 30-second break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Corey Davis' future with the Titans and what it makes sense for them and him to do moving forward. We're back. It's time to have how many Corey Davis discussions do you think we've had dating back to when we were with Titan sized Will? That's got to be the first one, right? I'm not yeah. sure we've ever done. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean it's we, like him and between 
Him, Mariota, and Harold Landry are the top three yeah. easily. Yeah, for sure. And you won the, the Mariota one, and then now we're still fighting out Harold Landry and Corey Davis. Yeah, I mean, I think you're winning the Corey Davis one, though, because as, as I tweeted during the uh, – I want to say it was the Browns game when he had that that big catch in the in the end zone on the jump ball that Tannehill threw to him. Like, I think he's proven that. I mean, I'm still on the fence as to whether he was worth a top five pick, uh, and I never thought he was a bust. However, he is leaning more toward, in my mind, a really good player that's worth keeping around versus where at the start of the season I'm thinking like this is just some like number two fringe, number three receiver that's easily replaceable and he's good and will make some plays, but will also make you crazy some other times. Uh, Let me start with this question. Uh, Do you think that, I mean, his success he's had this year, because as you alluded to earlier, he and A.J. Brown likely will both be 1,000-yard receivers. Is the success that he's had this year due to Health, because we we knew we figured out after the 2019 season that he was dealing with an, uh, a foot injury or a toe injury for most of the year. Is it the health? Is it they're finally going to him more? Has he actually developed in some kind of uh, intelligible way where he's playing better? Is or is it a combination of all three of those things? Because clearly the production, but also just the the player, is not what. I anyway have have seen over the last two years. Well, so go back to 2019. So remember, and it's it's hard to remember because it was a preseason thing. But everybody was so excited about Corey Davis that yeah. he was beaten. He was beating Stephon Gilmore in practice. This was the same year that he had his defensive player of the year. We just didn't know it yet. But yeah. like. All reports and people that were there great. said they do what? He looked great. Yeah. I mean, he was just working people and he was doing everything good. That was without Tannehill. And so he gets hurt in the preseason, misses some time, has to go into the seat, comes comes back basically because the Titans have two hobbled receivers. A.J. Brown's coming off a hamstring injury that's getting all the news, but Corey Davis is kind of toughing it out through what we learn later is a turf toe. But you know, it, it basically is hurt, but wants to shed this always injured kind of label that he has. So he plays the season hurt and still gets rave reviews for his effort. Uh, you know, this was one of your big problems with him, but everybody, the first thing that people would say when you said, when you would say, you know, how good is he? Because he only has X amount of yards. And they'd say, well, you, you got to understand that he's such a good blocker. Yeah. And that, that was, that was upsetting to me because that's not the way you should use Corey Davis. And it's not the way you should have used him when he came out of college. And it's upsetting to you because you don't spend a top five pick on a wide receiver that blocks. That's what you spend a seventh round pick on. So we, uh, we were on the same page and that that was so aggravating to hear, but, but you had AJ Brown, who was a guy who worked with Tannehill some in the preseason and was kind of like in that fringe, you know, the old the Mike Vrabel, like you got to work your way up the depth chart kind of thing. Like he had had some time with him. He came into the season and exploded in that 100 yard game and suddenly became more of the focal point of the offense because he could just do more with the ball in his hands. And rightfully so. But, you know, Mariota goes down that they try to make the offense as easy as possible for Tannehill. We see how that progresses, but 
you know, at, at the time there was no chemistry between Corey Davis and Tannehill. There was no like, there was no reason to throw it to a hurt guy if you didn't have to, like all that kind of thing. And then we would still see flashes of him doing impressive stuff. Like there was still the Jacksonville game where he kind of made the one-handed catch, like and tucked it into his body when AJ Brown couldn't catch anything. And th- there were glimpses the whole time, but whatever. Like lost season, he was the number two. It was fine. He didn't have to catch a bunch of balls hurt. Whatever. Fast forward to this preseason, if you want to call it that, the offseason, whatever, training camp, and nobody was there, but everybody talked about how – Tannehill, I guess, specifically talked about how now that the offense was set and we knew the quarterbacks and the receivers were going to be, he had, he was trying to build more of a rapport with Corey Davis going into this final year, blah, 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 blah. The end result is that – this was the first year that he had a quarterback that was not afraid to pass it to the open guy or to throw it, to throw a guy open. And this was the first time he had chemistry with Tannehill. So now you've got the culmination of all that plus offensive continuity and all these things kind of converging to give you the season that we should have had from Corey Davis in 2019. So to me, I, and let, let me, let me go back a step. Where, where I kind of see where Corey Davis has grown is a play that he made that A.J. Brown didn't earlier this year, which was in Cleveland, uh, A.J. Brown signals for the ball. Sorry, not Cleveland, sorry, Cincinnati. In Cincinnati, A.J. Brown signals for the ball in the end zone. Tannehill throws it, a bunch of wind. A.J. Brown didn't come back hard enough for it, and it's an interception. Okay, whatever. You're going to give A.J. Brown that chance. He threw his hand up. He clearly wanted it. They, they weren't on the same page. Fast forward to Cleveland, which is the throw you were talking about earlier, where it wasn't like Corey Davis had a bunch of separation. He just, Tannehill just trusted him to make that catch. He turned around, got his body in front, and just took a tough catch. I mean, just made a big play. And so those are the plays that you wanted a 6'3 wide receiver who's built like Corey Davis to make his whole career. And now he's making those catches. He's going over... uh, the rookie corner from Florida that the Jaguars drafted Henderson uh, Henderson. Yeah. CJ Henderson. When, when everybody was like, Oh, watch out. He's a stud. And then Corey Davis sunned him. And then you never heard from CJ Henderson again. And like, you know, taking, taking balls out of the, I mean, he's just looked great. He's looked confident in himself. He's looked healthy and he's looked like he's confident in the offense. So if you're asking me what's changed, it's a bunch of little things that I don't want to overvalue any specific one, but when they all converge, that's kind of where his growth is from a 600-yard receiver to a potentially 1,000-yard receiver. And so what's the future? I mean, we were talking a little bit about that uh, during this week earlier, and you made the comment about trying to get him a four-year contract with, with a backload to it. I think they should franchise tag him. Uh, we don't know what the franchise tag is going to be yet. You, you tend to figure that out in February. Um, I, I I will say, so first of all, explain your, uh, not why, but, but the details of what you think the Titans should do. Uh, just in, in the theory of the, what I would approach Corey Davis with yeah. is I would come to him and say, look, we're going to do basically the Derrick Henry deal for you. Now, we're going to say, you know, franchise tagging you isn't possible right now because of 
the franchise tag reflects last year. It doesn't reflect this year. So when you have a $40 million swing in the cap and you go by franchise tag numbers, that becomes cost prohibitive. But what I would say is, look, we're going to give you the money that you would make on. So let's say the, what is it? 13 million, something like that. Like, let's say the franchise tag is 13 million or 14 million or something like that. I would go to Corey Davis and say, look, we're going to give you 8 million guaranteed. We're going to give you X amount guaranteed today, like signing bonus. Like you're going to get it today. It's you're going to get 14 million, but on paper, you're only going to make 8 million in 2020. Then you're going to make, or sorry, 2021. Then in 2022, you're going to make 12 million and then it'll be, 14 to 14, whatever, however I structured it, it would have to be 14 and 16 or something like that. I forget how I structured it, but it would just be something that increases all the time. But I would say your first two years are going to be guaranteed in 2021. Like we gave you the franchise tag and then a heavy chunk of it's going to be guaranteed after that. And then we'll negotiate if we need to after that, but your incentives and it, it will be very easy for you to make money. Like just for your roster bonus will be at a certain amount, like that structure it. So it looks like what it is on paper. It's not one of those deals where it's like four years, $75 million deal where it's really like a two year, $30 million deal that is all voidable after two years. Like you have to come at him. Like you're saying, like, look, we're going to give you stability. We're going to give you stability in a place with no income tax. And it took you, four years to find a quarterback and an offense that made you look as successful as this. What happens if you go somewhere else? What happens if you go to Las Vegas or if you go to Jacksonville and you don't end up with an Arthur Smith or you get stuck with another quarterback who can't emphasize your strengths? It's like, are you going to get another contract? Because he's still only 25. So, I mean, my pitch to him is even if you ride out this deal, you make great money for a wide receiver too. Solid, like, it would be a good deal for us if you turned into a wide receiver one, but that's going to be AJ, but you'll still be a free agent again at 29. So no, no harm, no foul. So that, that would be my pitch to him. Now, maybe that's 14 million a year instead of 12 million a year. Maybe it's what, you know, whatever. But my pitch is look at what we did with Henry's deal, where it's a lot of money in the first two years. And then we'll deal with it after that. I just I always go back to Sammy Watkins and you know that and a few years ago Sammy Watkins got a deal from the Kansas City Chiefs that gave him an annual average value I believe of over 15 million dollars and Sammy Watkins had done nothing other than be the fifth pick of the draft or fourth pick um whereas Corey Davis is actually uh, been the fourth slash fifth pick of the draft and done things. And I think that the people who, I, I don't think your idea is delusional, certainly. I think it's I think it's lowballing. There are people I've seen on Twitter that are like, oh, he won't even make $10 million a year. That's delusional. That is delusion. That's, yeah, that's wild. However, I, I don't know. I mean, I just feel like Teams across the league are desperate for wide receivers. It's a sexy position to add in free agency. It makes you think that your offense is going to be better. 
And so I think he's going to have offers of around the Sammy Watkins total or perhaps slightly below it available to him. Now, to your point, Will, Corey Davis is a rational person. And I think that the Titans, like they did with Derrick Henry, could make him the argument of, hey, you are best with us. Because I think, to go back to Henry, I think he understood and his agent understood that Henry's value with the Titans is not the same as Henry's value with other teams. However, that might not necessarily be true with Corey Davis because you could make the argument that for a team with a competent quarterback, let's say that uh, his old buddy Matt LaFleur came calling and wanted him to come play with Aaron Rodgers. I think you could argue that that's a better fit, a bit of a more high-flying offense. Now, he'd be a number two receiver there to Devontae Adams, but you get what I'm saying that I don't know that there's quite as much you know, team-friendly incentive for Davis as there was for Henry. Uh, so... I don't know. I think it's interesting. And also you have this whole idea of, is this a one-year wonder type of thing? Is it going to be consistent into next season? He is a guy who struggled with injuries in the past. And I think that uh, he has not surpassed to the point, which Henry had. He has not surpassed the point where you give him the franchise tag and the reaction is, man, that they did him dirty, man. They're going to make him play on that one-year deal. Like, he strikes me as the kind of person that that was created for. Yeah, I don't, I don't argue that. I was just looking. Do you know how many players have made? Uh, how many free agent wide receivers in the last five years have made forty eight million dollars or more on the next deal? Who that have hit the open market? <laughs> you mean One. in terms of like the original value, or like ultimately got all the money? No, 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 no. Just like and, when it pops up on SportsCenter, okay. it says. This is this is yeah. a deal for forty eight yeah. or more million it, dollars was, a year. Or it was Watkins, Watkins, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it was one, and it was Sammy Watkins. So that we all knew at the time that was an insane thing to happen. Like yeah. that wasn't like some big like that wasn't a big like wow like that was a deal like Allen Robinson forty two million. Uh, Allen like, Robinson's a, there, there's, I mean markedly better player than yeah, Watkins. That's not like, even there, remotely close. Yeah, and there's so many different names. Like, I, I, I mean, I could go through them. Like, Pierre Garçon made 47.5, and that was crazy. Like, just in terms of total value. And Pierre Garçon's is on a five-year contract, and Sammy Watkins was on a three-year contract, which is insane. But, like, just in terms of – I think we get so used to seeing these $100 million deals that we think that we're seeing these massive contracts for wide receivers. But really, if you're good enough to hit – or if you're going to have to make that money, you make it from your team re-signing you. Like, you're Julio. Yeah. You're Mike Evans. Like, you don't get to the open market. So, if Which you I mean, get and, to and, the open market... And that's true for a lot of positions. Yeah, for sure. Like, I think Edge is the one that usually gets the... Like, Edge and uh, the rare quarterback that hits the open market is the one that really breaks the bank. But, you know, sometimes offensive tackle. But, yeah, like, I, I guess going back to the point of like, if he signed a deal with the Titans, like if we saw for, if we see a deal this season, that's four years, $48 million for a wide receiver or for any position, like that's comparable to that. That's not edge offensive tackle or quarterback. Like it'll probably be the biggest deal we see in free agency this year. So like four years, $48 million is not chump change for Corey Davis in this, in this economy. Like, and, and you know, there's rumors out there that, there may the cap might be one ninety five million instead of one seventy five million or, or whatever they they've talked about. But either way, 
like it was 220 million last year. So it's still going to be a $20 million decrease in this scenario. So like, I understand people saying like, okay, you can pay him $8 million because it goes down a lot. No, that's not true because 195 is sort of middle ground. It's like some teams are going to be able to pay him enough. Then it's like, well, it's not going to hurt him that much. So they'll structure it differently. It's like, yeah, but there's never been a deal like this. And Corey Davis isn't like Julio hitting the open market. So I, I think $12 million a year is pretty fair. Like, it, just to kind of put it in context, Adam Humphreys got $9.75 million a year, and everybody thought that was a good deal for the Titans, but not like they were getting a steal. Like, it was like, that's really solid value for what he can bring. So, $2 million a year more is probably correct. One more thing we need to discuss before we get to Stop the Nonsense that we teased earlier is the playoff picture which is starting to shape up in the AFC. We're just going to talk about the AFC because that's what uh, relates to the Titans, of course. So I'm sitting here looking at it, and we have, you know, the Chiefs and the Steelers, of course, have already clinched their playoff spots. Uh, The Titans, as it stands right now, obviously have the lead in the AFC South. They also have uh, a game up on the eighth team, so that would be the Ravens, which I guess, you know, looking at it now, it's clo- even closer than I thought it was in that if the Titans can't take care of business over these last four weeks, there's very much, a, you know, very easily a scenario where they're not in the playoffs. Um, I, I couldn't see the Raiders catching up with the Titans because that's a two-game deficit, but the Ravens are a game behind the Titans. Now the Titans do have that head-to-head advantage over the Ravens, which could come in very handy. Uh but the way that, that things are setting up now, especially with the schedule that the Titans have remaining, two cupcake teams and then the Packers, uh, it's looking good for the Titans, you have to admit. Yeah, I mean, just to get into the playoffs, I think it's, you know, whatever, take the percentages for what they're worth, but I think it's like 90-something percent. I mean, I think it's pretty heavily skewed towards the Titans have all the right tiebreakers, which it's nice to finally be on the right side of having tiebreakers because it felt like forever we have been on the wrong side of at least like one or two just killer tiebreakers that meant we had to win an extra game. But yeah, I mean, the Ravens win is huge. A Browns win would have been very interesting because then there would have been a scenario where the Titans could have gotten all the way up to the two seed, uh, which I guess could still technically happen, but uh, it would have to be like the Steelers losing. It, it, it would be almost impossible. But it's 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 probably more likely than the Titans not making the playoffs, though. But, yeah, like having a tiebreaker over the Colts, the biggest – I mean, that's that's clearly the biggest difference in all this. Um, the You know, the Browns hovering right there is scary. The Ravens are cl- – I, I really don't I, – I don't see – I don't think the Raiders get in. Like if we're just if we're just in speculation right yeah, now, they're not a very inspiring I, team. Yeah, they seem like they are broken. Like it seems like they got all excited thinking they were going to beat Kansas City, and then they lost to them in that last drive. And I want to say, and I'm ninety nine percent confident about this, that they're one in four in their last four games, and their one win is against the Jets when they had that hail mary that the Jets let them have. So. That's about as terrible as you can look. 
is you, the Jets had to let you win so that you wouldn't go 0-4 in your last games. So yeah. I'm considering that the done line. So then you, but you're basically talking about the Ravens, Dolphins, Colts, and Browns fighting for a spot. Here's the interesting thing. The Ravens have a tiebreaker over the Colts, right? Because they beat them head-to-head. Yeah. The Browns also beat the Colts head-to-head. So I don't know about the Dolphins, but if the Dolphins have any sort of tiebreaker ahead of the Colts, which, again, like I said, I don't know if that's the case or not, but if they do and they all end up at the same spot, the Colts have all the worst tiebreaker luck. So... They're definitely out if they're tied with the Browns or if they're tied with the Ravens because they lost head-to-head. Again, I don't know the Dolphins, but there's a scenario where the Colts could be the AFC champ- AFC South champions. They could be like as high as the three seed, or they could also be all the way out of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, and there's also a scenario where the Titans are that. Correct, but like, I mean, even at nine and seven... I, I mean, yeah, I guess, but but I'm not talking about like them, them falling off a cliff. Like, if the Colts lose to the Steelers, and they they only get to only quote unquote get to eleven and uh, five, and the Titans are at eleven and five, and the Browns are at eleven and five, and the Ravens are at eleven and five, mm-hmm. then they're at, at at best the Colts are the seven seed. The, the Dolphins don't strike me as that frightening of a team. I feel like Baltimore will ultimately win that spot, no? Yeah, I, I, would, I would definitely lean towards Baltimore. Just because, But, you know, the Dolphins are that team that's so good on defense and so fundamentally well coached. I'm looking at it now. They've lost one game in their last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Oh, sorry. They've lost two games in their last uh, nine, but they were eight and one heading heading into the Chiefs game. So, I mean, like, and, and I mean, to the, your point about the defense, doesn't Xavier Howard have like ten interceptions or something crazy like that? Yeah, he has nine and five and like five games in a row with an interception, and he has nine. It's crazy for like, a quarterback. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's insane. <laughs> so, like. They played the Patriots. The, the this is the Dolphins here. They play the Patriots. They play the Raiders, and they play the Bills. The Bills should have everything locked up, like just in terms of a playoff spot this weekend. Like maybe, maybe yeah. next weekend. I'm not. I'm not 100 sure, but they definitely don't have any reason to play their starters in the last week of the season because they're not getting a bye week. So they might as well treat it like a bye week anyway. So if they can get those three wins and finish out again. None of these teams are especially powerful if the Bills rest their starters. I mean, the Dolphins at eleven and five. I, I don't know. Like I, I don't. I like I said. I don't know the tiebreakers, but it's it's not impossible for, to me that the Colts or I mean, even the Titans. I guess in this scenario, if they don't win the AFC South, like are out. Of, oh well, no, sorry. That that's why it's different. That's what I was going to say next. Is the reason it's different for the Titans is they have the tiebreakers with the Ravens and. They, they would push them out. So, yeah, uh, basically the point is, like, there's still a lot to be decided, and I think we're, we're pretty confident the Raiders are out, and then it's down to Miami or the Ravens for that seventh spot, but it's still pretty interesting. 
All righty. It is time to get to Stop the Nonsense, our favorite segment of the show that we close with every week. I will begin because I think it's been a couple weeks since I have uh, done the honors of starting. Um, I, I want to talk about there, – there's not really anything specific here in terms of like a, a tweet or an article or a quote or anything. I want to talk about the reactionary nature of those who consume the NFL. Never before this season, the 2020 season, has it been quite so apparent to me how reactionary a lot of people are to the NFL. I've seen it with the Titans who, you know, they lost to the Steelers and then uh, lost to the Bengals and everyone was ready to forget about the 5-0 and start to the season. Uh and then they go and beat the Ravens and, and remind us all that they're good. I've seen it some with the Titans, but really just around the NFL. And, and I've never noticed it being quite as bad as it's been this year. And I don't know why it's been so bad, but to the point where, you know, a team wins a game and all of the sudden they are the greatest thing that has ever happened. Let me give you an example. The Browns last week shellacked the Titans, right? Totally destroyed them. But at the end of the day, they're still the Browns. We know who they are. They have a limited quarterback in Baker Mayfield. Uh, they're a run-first team. They're well-coached. I like Kevin Stefanski a lot. Uh, but we know who they are. Well, goodness gracious. People were losing their minds over the Browns last week, wanting to declare them the uh, you know, division champions, they're about to overtake the Steelers, I was hearing, and and they are legit, and, and that was their playoff uh, lock-in game. Uh, I, I heard someone say, I can't remember who, I want to say it was Rich Eisen, say that, you know, that was their playoff game against the Titans. And then they just come out, and, and Baker did not play very well against the Baltimore Ravens through a hideous interception uh, to Tyus Bowser late in that game and kind of reminded us all who they were. And I'm, I, I sincerely doubt that you're going to, you heard anyone on sports talk radio on Tuesday talking about, well, I still think the Browns are the greatest thing that has ever happened to the NFL, but that's not an isolated example. People were doing it with Russell Wilson early in the season. I remember in week three being told that we might as well just stop watching because Russell Wilson was already the MVP of the league and now I bet if you looked on Bovada or one of those other Vegas sites, he'd be like fifth or sixth down the list. Um, it's a long season. It may only be 16 games and therefore uh, by far the shortest uh, season in terms of games, but it's a long season. It's four months. Let's calm down. Let's take it all in stride. Let's watch. We can give opinions and we can react and we can have analysis, but... There has been a lot of rushing to judgment and a lot of very reactionary uh, analysis throughout this year, and it's been a problem. And it, it's it's bad. Whether you're a fan or someone that gets that's getting paid to have these conversations, it's uh, it's a bad look, I think. Yeah, and this week the hot team is the Bills since the Browns lost. Like, it's like are the Bills the best team in the NFL? Like, you know. Like you said last week, it was the Browns. It's just, it, it's it's almost like what team will it be next week? And, yeah. you know, sometimes there's valid opinions, like, kind of hidden underneath all that, you know, fluff and hot take stuff. 
But more and more, it's just like, you know what? This team that you thought was good, let's say it's the Chiefs. Like, you think the Chiefs are good? Yeah, they got Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, but what else do they have? And it's like, well, got Tyreek Hill and, you know, Travis Kelsey and, you know, a good offensive line, good running backs, like solid players. But, like, they gloss over that and they immediately move to start making their point. And that's what's aggravating is they'll say something and then the next week they'll just completely forget it and they'll move on to another team to love. So it is incredibly aggravating. And I feel like it's been worse this year than it has been in the past, or at least I've noticed it more. I think because we didn't get, and this is another reason why preseason should be locked in forever, but I think because we didn't get preseason to get all these hot takes out early and say, you know, this is the best team. No, this is my team. And then all we got was like camp reports and then week one and everybody was rounding into shape. Like, I feel like these are the takes we would have gotten in the middle of the season this year, but you know, that's why we need the preseason. In fact, I would say we need to make the preseason longer. But, uh, you know, that's, know that. <laughs> we should have eight preseason games just to make up for the four we missed this year. The sacred four. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you're right. It does feel like it's more, you know, aggressive. And maybe it's because Sports Talk Radio doesn't have as much to talk about because there's no hockey around and basketball is just starting to come back now. And, like, you know, maybe it's all this – delayed start time and stuff where everybody's been so focused on football for so long that it's almost like they've been in the desert so long and they're starting to get like hallucinations and all that. But I don't know. You're, you're definitely right. And it's definitely aggravating. Um, I'll, I'll get my stop the nonsense because we've already touched on it a little bit. So, uh, I had another one prepared, but or not prepared, but it was more just like a general concept, but this one's way more interesting. So we'll do this one because you brought it up earlier. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah had a tweet from earlier today that said, Bama wide receiver Devonta Smith is a blend of Marvin Harrison and Calvin Ridley. Which is, sure, like, maybe, but <laughs> to say, like, he's a, bal- a blend between a Hall of Famer and Calvin Ridley, who I'm not sure if everybody knows how good Calvin Ridley is. Uh, in the first three years of his career, he has... Uh, 2,700 yards and 25 touchdowns and he's the number two receiver on his team and there's still three games left to go. So there's a great chance that he'll end up with 3000 yards in his first, uh, in the first three seasons. And there's only like nine guys who've done that, that are active in the NFL. And it's guys like Odell Beckham, AJ green, Michael Thomas, Mike, you know, the guys that you're like, Oh, those are the all pros from the last decade. So, like, he's a stud, and like I said, he's not even the top guy on his team yet. So, to say his 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 high, or sorry, his low is probably the second best wide receiver to come out of his alma mater in the last 20, 30 years, and a Hall of Famer that played with a Hall of Fame quarterback his whole career, which is why he looked so good is probably setting him up to fail. And it just goes back to your whole point of we don't like, like, sure. Like again, helpful for pre-draft process, all that kind of stuff, like talking about it. But if you label this, you have to understand Daniel Jeremiah, isn't you or me. Daniel Jeremiah is somebody who is talked to teams about being their next general manager. He's involved. He, you know, he's going to be the next John Lynch where he goes straight from the broadcasting booth to a general manager spot. And you can't have guys running around that think that there's college players out there whose floor are, you know, 
all pro players, Pro Bowl type Hall of Famer. It's just insane. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's like he should even out to a nice Hall of Fame career in year two. It's like you can you can like <laughs> that's just insane to me. Yeah, it, it's a problem, and it, it uh, people need to stop doing that. Uh, that's going to do it for us for this week. We'll be back next week to recap this one and then look ahead to what will probably end up being the, the biggest and uh, most exciting Titans game of the season. Uh, that would be Sunday Night Football against the Green Bay Packers. That's two weeks away. This week they've got the Detroit Lions who, I mean, let's face it, this is a game that they should win easily just like they did against the Jaguars this week. But until then, for Will and Matias, who is not here, I'm Luke reminding you and everyone else in this sport to stop the nonsense. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.